Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is The Guardian. Welcome to the final word, Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John, and along with many cricket followers here in the UK, I woke up this morning just in time to hear that Australia had declared, leaving England a whopping 468-run target to win the second test. Lucky for both me and you, my colleagues Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon in Adelaide did not sleep through the majority of Australia's innings, so you'll be able to get some prime thoughts on that from them in a short while. In the meantime, let's just consider Nathan Lyon, shall we? 406 test wickets, nearly a quarter of those English ones. It says a lot about our selective memories that the unforgettable moment England fans have allotted him in Ashes history is a fumbled catch to miss a run out at Headingley. Not that Lyon himself probably cares. He'll just carry on torturing English batsmen for kicks if it's all the same to you. His overs just after the dinner interval seemed to put Rory Burns under some kind of hypnosis. The ball bucked and weaved in the liminal airspace around Burns's bat, and the England opener was paralysed in place, incapable of making a break to the safety of the other end. Not that that would have offered much of an escape, given that Mitchell Stark was tormenting David Milan in similar fashion. Still, it was a mystery how Lyons' deliveries kept missing the edge. It was Milan who finally gave up his, only for Steve Smith to immediately drop it at slip. Not that Smith's mistake mattered, Milan was LBW next over to Michael Neeser. Lyons opening over to Joe Root, meanwhile, was a beauty, which made a mockery of the England captain's attempts to sweep. Australia's spinner finished the day without a wicket, but you can only suspect he'll make up for that tomorrow. As for Root, you just wonder what more this series can put him through. In the practice session before play, a ball had hit him in what we euphemistically call the lower abdomen, leaving him unable to lead his team onto the field. Now, facing Stark in the dark, just 15 minutes before the close of play, he took another hit in exactly the same spot and fell to the ground like a man who'd been gut-shot. Having compounded his injury, Stark added the final insult by stealing his edge with the last ball of the day. England will be cast into day five on the tiny ice flow of 82 for four, their hopes of making anything from this test now far beyond the horizon. And with that, let's head over to Adam and Jeff in Adelaide. Day four, night four at the Adelaide Oval, and it's 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 not that England are in trouble. I mean, they're in trouble like an aeroplane with three engines gone and one remaining is in <laughs> trouble. Um, 
the, the, the landing, the miracle on the Hudson is probably not going to happen. But given that a lot of England supporters have suffered through this test match and this podcast, I think we should start today by looking at a bit that went well for England. Okay. A, a, a moment, more than a moment, this morning, this afternoon, which I still think of as this morning, when things were good. Uh, it wasn't when Joe Root got hit in uh, the unmentionables while warming up and had to spend two hours off the field with an ice pack um, on his regions. But it was when suddenly, out of nowhere, they, they were ripping through wickets. I mean, the, the way that uh, Jimmy Anderson bowls an absolute beauty to go through the night watchman early, always good to do that. Then Stuart Broad with an unplayable to nick off Marcus Harris, who doesn't necessarily need an unplayable, but got one. And then it should have been Steve Smith caught first ball golden duck. He doesn't make a lot of golden ducks. He made one last summer against India, and it was a pretty rare thing in his career. But Butler, having taken the previous catch off Harris, puts down the one off Smith. But then Robinson gets Smith for six. So, I mean, they... They were flying for a little while in the England se- in the in, in that early session, and it was like, okay, here is here is the thing that England's bowlers can do. Yeah, well, they took three for fourteen from fourteen overs to start the day, because they had the ball moving around. They were pitching it up more. That kind of reinforced that point that Jeff you made on night one that they they went to plan B too quickly, uh, and that plan A isn't a bad plan when you've got bowlers of the quality of Anderson and Broad leading the attack, and and Robinson, whose reputation has been enhanced in a couple of different ways today. We'll come to one a little bit later, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, Smith should have been out first ball. Butler's had a very odd test match. He's taken a blinder to get rid of Harris, well, twice in both innings. He took an excellent catch today to get rid of Smith as well off Robinson. Uh, but between times, he's let a number go through his hands, including Smith first ball. And then Broad has a straight up and down, looked like he was plumb shot for leg before second ball, reprieved on umpire's call. I am certain that Rod Tucker would have viewed the appeal more kindly had not Broad been celebrating at backward point when he turned around um, after Rod was shaking his head. Um, the celebrity appeal can can backfire on you sometimes as well, and, uh, and I think it might have done exactly that today with Rod Tucker not taking any of that trash. Um, I love Stuart Broad, of course, and I love that he's made this a thing, but, you know, Law 42 does need some updating, as we've talked about on the Final Word Weekly Show in the past. And yeah, then the second hour, Travis Head, who uh, so far in the series looks the the man most likely to dominate the thing, uh, a century at Brisbane, a, a better than breezy half century today. He, he hit the ball superbly, especially off the back foot, which is a great sign in Australia. If you can pull and cut well, uh, you are. And I, I know it's his home ground, and I get it to drop in pitch. Not a lot of speed in the pitch at that point either, but still, it takes some doing. The way he played Ben Stokes, for example, was of the highest class. And there with Marnus Slabashane, who played a missed a hundred times uh, again, as he did in the first innings but uh, he's going through one of those patches right now in test cricket when he seemingly can't get out but yes that partnership meant that Australia were able to sort of do as they pleased in the middle session and so it went but yeah I think that to England's credit they didn't rock up this morning and and let the declaration bowling become precisely that initially that first hour or so uh, is a bit of a template for the future it was it was something you know it was it was there was life in that moment and I do I wonder if I mean, okay, the, the LBW, I understand why it was given not out because Smith moves across his stump so drastically that he was outside, he was way outside his off stump half a second after the ball had struck his pad. So mm. it's hard to read those as hitting in line. I do think that umpire's call in terms of impact is nonsense. It's either hitting you in line or not hitting you in line. I don't see why right. there needs to be a grey area there um, and that, that should be concrete. But the I, I wondered if that 
the catch that went down. Like, sure, they got him for six, and it was only a few overs later, but it was quite a few overs later because Smith was there for a little while going slowly. I just, I just wonder whether that had they got him first ball, that might have been enough to keep them rolling through the Australians. But as it was, you know, they they started to run into that wall, that Manus shaped wall. He was one off forty odd deliveries at one <laughs> point. Um, not interested in scoring at the start and, and gradually built into his innings. But it was one of those. It, it is still a declaration innings where all you need is for someone to get a 50, someone else to get a 30, you know, and you've pretty much got enough runs because you, you're getting yourself 400 in head. In, in the end, they were sort of closer to... Uh, ended, up, uh, ended up closer to 500 ahead. So Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just thought if they'd got him first ball, maybe they could have just kept rocking through them and, and really stunned the Australians and got them out for something uh, much less than 200. Yeah, there was room for one twist today, I reckon, uh, and it required England mm. to bowl out Australia for 120 or, or fewer. And if Smith goes first yeah. ball, that's a, a distant but vague possibility, um, albeit acknowledging how well uh, that, that Head played and I suppose he would have had a decent chance to stop the rot along with Labuschagne anyway. But yeah, that, it needed that sense of momentum, I suppose. And, and that was um, that was out the window after the LB went the wrong way for them and the drop catch from Butler, which again, you know, um, I, feel as, I feel as though, you know, again, we are Butler sympathisers, apologists even sometimes on this show. Um, well, I know I certainly have been. And I feel like there's a room, there is room for Joss Butler at test level but it felt to me like they made a call about him and the gloves like three years ago when he came back into the test team Bairstow was preferred they went away to Sri Lanka and the Windies and Folks was preferred at different points it's been neither of those two men given the opportunity with Butler playing as a specialist bat I feel as though that's probably a better fit for him rather than asking him uh, to wear the gloves in Australia 150 overs in the dirt across two days a couple of chances go down a 17 ball duck I mean you know a lot's going wrong for him and now they need him tomorrow at number 7 to potentially bat for a number of hours because look Joe Root's not there and let's go from one extreme to the other in terms of the day's play to the last ball of it Mitchell Stark around the wicket tailing away how often have have we seen that, Jeff, with either the white or the pink ball? Perhaps not so much with the red ball, but um, white ball and pink ball mm. over the journey. That that angle he was able to generate and steer it away to get root at the last possible moment to close out the day. Um, I think uh, Mark Howard, was it, who called it a, a hammer blow uh, on, on television, and that, that's kind of spot on, really, because that's, that's how it felt. If root and Stokes, the leadership axis, are going into the final day, I think you're allowed to dream a little bit if you're an England fan. You're permitted to dream a little bit. You're allowed to speculate about, well, if these two are in at lunch as Root and Malam were in at lunch or dinner rather on, on day two well well, sorry day three make that you can start to sort of sketch a course to victory or not victory sorry uh, to the draw in a similar way to what um, uh, South Africa were able to do on this ground nine years ago or perhaps the better comparison might be what uh, India were able to achieve across 131 overs at Sydney just in January like you could you could transfer pressure back up to bowlers who remember that chastening experience at Sydney and a couple of long partnerships and, and suddenly you're sort of in a position where you can dead bat the game away late but it required Root to bat for sort of five or six or seven hours because we just know how fragile this team is um, and and now the probability of that goes through the floor and I think that it's more likely that England uh, much as it was four years ago here when they came back four down on the fifth day uh, will probably be done by dinner five down I think by that point but right. yeah it'd be you would think it was 
possible to dream about batting out the four sessions in a situation where Australia's best two quicks were missing. Uh, Mitchell Stark and Tyre, and you've got a couple of new-ish guys, in, well, new-ish in Richardson and, and new in Nisa. But that's just not how it worked because it was Richardson and Nisa who mm. got the incisions. It was Joe Richardson who, who bowled pretty well, got, took some mm. tap, went at about four, and over, four runs and over in the first innings, even though he bowled okay. He bowled very attackingly um, and, and did go for runs. But he picks up the first wicket in this innings. Hasib Hamid worked him out with a beautiful delivery that came in a bit, decked away a bit, um, edged to carry behind. And then it's Nisa who gets Darvin Milan when, you know, he's been the only other point of resistance. He bats pretty well, faces 50-odd deliveries. He's out there for, uh, you know, quite a, a decent slab of time, but then gets pinned just in line with, with the stumps, uh, the left-hander. So he's league before wicket. And then it's Rory Burns getting his... He's only real start, I suppose. Uh, he gets to 34, doesn't look very fluent, but he's still there. And then it's Richardson again who moves one away from him, away from the left-hander this time and, and gets the edge into the slip. So they were the, the key. You know, They got those three and kept working through them um, and then that allowed Stark to, to knock over Root late in the, in the day. Ended up being the last ball of the day at, at 82 for four. Yeah, and a word for Nathan Lyon in all of that as well. He has Milan dropped by Steve Smith. Probably the easiest chance that Smith's had through the series after pouching five of them off the seamers. But that goes down and in the next over, Nisa goes around the wicket and blows Milan's pad off. I just thought that was excellent bowling. Nisa was going across Milan trying to find the outside edge. But the change of angle, they put in a short mid-wicket. I was on the call at the time and you can kind of see the plan uh, come to fruition. It was a beautiful thing. And exactly the same thing happened about an hour later, uh, maybe not even an hour maybe maybe half an hour later uh, when, when Burns was facing up to Richardson. Now, Richardson bowled a stellar delivery, a stellar first spell, but that delivery to Hasiba Mead took his glove off pretty much, about so much after hitting the seam. That appreciable movement we talk about with Richardson away from the right-hander, it was all there. It was glorious stuff. Um, so that, that's sort of plan A for him with the new ball. But to come back with his second spell to Rory Burns, who for all of the, the pitfalls and all of the challenges for him at the moment, did face the second most number of balls in the 2019 Ashes. And I raise that to remind people that he does know this Australian attack fairly well and he can bat for a long stretch of time and that's precisely what England were trying to do. Like He can be an annoyance and bat for a whole day. So with that in mind, with a ball that wasn't old but was no longer new, for Richardson to realise, look, I'm going to go around the wicket here and try and angle it off the seam and to bowl three beautiful deliveries in that over and the third one to find the edge. I mean, that's the stuff you dream of as a fast bowler. And Richardson, after going wicketless in the first innings to take two high-quality wickets in the second, I think that'll mean that the conversation we'll probably have tomorrow, Jeff, will revolve around if Cummins returns to the team as expected and if Hazelwood misses, as we kind of think he might, if there's only room for one bowler, uh, then tomorrow could be a bit of a bowl-off and, and Richardson has got the, the leg up because of how well he bowled uh, in his two opportunities this evening to get Australia going and to get rid of uh, players at, when they looked, you know, well, Hamid was out for a duck, but with Burns, he could have been a real problem tomorrow. I suppose the argument for Nisa might be just how economical he's been as well. He's barely given yeah. away a run where, where Richardson has at times. And maybe if you've got Stark going through for the third test at Melbourne as well, you'd rather have a more economical option alongside him to, to let him attack. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. 
Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. More. Let's look at the one thing that isn't going right for Australia, because Cameron Green made a few runs today as well. But Marcus Harris... Um, <laughs> If we if we look at Rory Burns, you would you wouldn't say that Rory Burns is having a good series. I don't think anybody would would necessarily make that mistake. He's still ahead of Marcus Harris on runs. They're fifty one to thirty eight. Um, not flattering figures <laughs> either. But Rory Burns is having a nightmare series, and Marcus Harris is still going worse than him. It would be sort of it would be a flex for the Australian team to go to the third test and just keep picking him anyway because it doesn't matter because they're that far ahead. But he's got one of the worst records in the history of test cricket for someone who's opened in as many innings as he has. Uh, he doesn't look like he knows how to make a run against quality bowling. And I, I cannot... Like, Usman Khawaja is a player who's had plenty of opportunities and has underperformed against his ability over the, the broad sweep of his career. But I can't see how you can look at this team right now today and say that Usman Khawaja is not a better player than Marcus Harris. I think I share that view. Um, but I would suspect that they'll be reluctant to, this is very Australian thinking, change your winning team. Uh, assuming they, they complete the job tomorrow, They I don't think they'll want any discombobulation in the group. And I know four years ago, they, they made a change after winning at Adelaide and being 2-0 up and removed Peter Hanscom in favour of Mitchell Marsh, which at the time felt like, not premature, but that felt like a flex as well. Let's pick the guy in form who can bowl a bit at home and it paid off big time. But yeah, yeah. I, even though, I mean, Kawaja is very much part of this squad, we saw him celebrating Nice's first wicket. We saw him dancing in front of the Barmy Army tonight. Um, he's part of this team, part of this squad. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I just don't, I just don't see it happening. If it were me, I, I would look at making the change. Look, Harris is unlucky to the extent to which he got a very good ball today, and Butler's dragged in two wonderful catches off him while dropping chances off Smith and Labuschagne, uh, yeah. which which were ten you times feel easier. Hard done by it. On, on that score, you'd, you'd, yeah. you'd feel fairly out of luck. Yeah, and I, and I don't think we're quite into Joe Burns' territory from 12 months ago. I know Joe Burns made 50 here, but he looked so out of sorts at Melbourne that it felt like it was almost, uh, you know, they were doing him a favour by getting rid of him. I don't sort of see Harris in quite the same yeah. way. He battled in quite an enterprising fashion last night, by the way. So, yeah, I, I'm not quite sold on the idea that he's completely stuffed. But yeah, there'll be a weight of runs argument that'll start pretty quickly. Uh, he might get one more chance. Remember, he'll be going to the MCG home test match uh, for him since moving to WA. The MCG is a ground where he's made loads of runs. So that might be tempting as well. But yeah, it's a bit of a watch this space when that's the only spot in the team because Head's consolidated his position. Warner's never getting dropped, nor is Smith, nor is Labuschagne and nor is Green when he's able to, to bowl and field the way he is at the moment and useful runs for him today. They were junk time runs and he didn't score a boundary. He was able to ease 33 unbeaten runs without moving out of third gear and that might just be what he needs to get himself into the series with the bat as well. The final word Hall of Fame is about the most final word moment of the day which is not necessarily the best but just the one that stood out to us. Did anything leap out at you, like a, a salmon swimming upstream today, Adam? Doesn't it have to be the new Colin Miller, the new Funky Miller in the form of Ollie Robinson? And not only reverting from seam up to off spin, but doing it bloody well and looking like he's got 
a genuine future as a dual threat. And I'm not even joking. I mean, like, it's easy to take the piss out of this kind of thing. I mean, David Balam took his first two test wickets today. Joe Root picked up two wickets, four of the five to go, to make that four of the nine to go, were from effectively part-time spin. And that's not a great reflection on where England are at in terms of their team balance, not having a frontline spinner playing at the moment. But with all of that said, Ollie Robinson bowling in the speed dealers uh, and getting plenty of bounce and looking the part as a finger spinner in the tradition of Graham Swan or, or Ashley Giles or Nathan Lyon, I definitely see a world where this guy bowls more off spin in the future. And the fact that it took this to bring it on because Joe Root was off the ground because he'd been smashed in the nuts uh, in, in practice uh, before they were uh, ready to take the field today makes it all the better for mine. So maybe it's one of those unintended consequences of a, a pretty unfortunate thing for Joe Root, which got all the more unfortunate when he was whacked there again before getting out late today. Uh, but yes, Ollie Robinson, uh, medium pace slash off spin. That's the future, I think. Mm. And I think I think the wear and outlet that doesn't necessarily like most others uh, put, say, eight minutes worth of laughing into someone getting hit in, in the nuts no. because it's a very unpleasant thing. Uh, but it did seem symbolic for England's tour that not only their best player, but in many ways their only player, mm. couldn't come on the ground after. Like, like how many more mishaps? have to occur it's it, it's it's a grim parade of fate at the moment mocking the english cricket team so th- there was that the the other the other little one for me was what you just mentioned before about cameron green making 33 but not hitting a boundary i liked that from the guy who whacked about four sixes against india <laughs> teeing off at the end of a declaration innings last summer just saying you know what middle overs of an odi I'm just going to milk it, just work it around. <laughs> Peter Hans came in about over over 38 to 42 before starting to go up the gears. Just 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 keep shuffling ones and twos around the field. Yeah, yeah, it, it served its purpose, I think. That extra, oh, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes. At times, we're like, do they really need to be batting right now? We might look back in a month and say, aha, that's what it was all about. It was like a glorified centre wicket practice or a glorified net uh, for, for Cameron Green. Just to have a, a red inker of 30 33 runs when he'd only had two runs in the series and been bowled twice. That, that, that'll be a, just something for him to take away from this, in addition to bowling superbly, by the way, but, but something else he can take to Melbourne. This has been the Ashes Daily from the final word. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, you can find us at patreon.com slash the final word if you want to help us out or join in our weird cricket quiz podcasts that come out at other times. Uh, We'll be back for day five. As much of it as there is, there may be 10 overs. There may be 100 overs. We don't know. That's the beauty of Test Cricket. Uh, Tune in and find out what happened on day slash possibly night five on the Ashes Daily. Good night. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. That's it for today. Thanks from Adam, Jeff and me for listening. We will see you back here for the final day's play tomorrow. And if you like this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or a review, which will help more people to find it. This episode was produced by Sophia Tarrick, and The Final Word is produced by Bad Producer Productions and edited by James Hurley. The executive producers are Gabrielle Jackson and Melanie Tate.